Without anything further, guys, I want to introduce you to my good friend, Matt Maestas. Matt is, uh, if you'll come on up, Matt. Matt is, um, if you don't know Matt, you are in for a treat this morning. Matt is, uh, is uh, a church planter catalyst for the North American Mission Board. My man, good to see you, dude. Good to see you. Really good dude, really good guy. And uh, the interesting thing about it is that Matt has asked to come on as an intern with New City Church. Now, He's a church planning guru. He's a church planning, all that kind of stuff. He says something crazy is going on with New City Church. And so, uh, man, without anything further, uh, give a New City welcome to Matt Maestas. Well, good morning, New City Edgerton. It's a pleasure and a privilege to be with you. Um, My name is Matt Maestas, and I'm married to the lovely Jessica. And together we have uh, four kids. Gracie is eight, Levi is six, Ruby is three, and Evie is, uh, well, she'll be two in March. So it's everything that you think it would be to have four children. It's like Jim Gaffigan says, what's it like when they have all those kids? Well, imagine that you're drowning and someone hands you a baby. <laughs> that's, that's not untrue, and I'm such a good husband that I left my wife at home with all of them today, and she's getting them ready to go to worship by herself in, in uh, Shawnee as we speak. Um, Before we take up too much more of your time today uh, with things about me, I want to invite you to open up um, in God's Word this morning to Matthew chapter 7. And we're in this uh, kind of the third, I guess, message for you all in the Spooky Spirituality series. And we're going to kind of drill in a little bit deeper with some of the things that you heard last week. And so my apologies, was it Darren? Is that last week? Oh, Daniel. Daniel, sorry. Yeah, Daniel, I listened to his message on the way down and I went, that turkey, he took some of my sermon, and that's okay, but I thought, well, maybe they just need to hear a little bit more of that this morning, so if that's you, then buckle up a little bit. Uh, What we're going to do today is we're going to kind of get a good sense again of the context, as Daniel gave us last week, and we're going to drill in a little deeper, so if you have your Bible, this is uh, God's Word to us in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. Do you see that this life that we live with Jesus is an exclusive kind of life and that not everybody chooses to follow? And so it's important as we start that we ask ourselves if we are truly choosing to follow or not. Ask yourself that. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life and few find it. Continuing on, beware, or your translation might say, look out for false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. It sounds familiar. If you've read the book of John, it'll sound a whole lot like John 15 there, where Jesus says, if you are a branch and you're not connected to me, the true vine, you'll be gathered together and burned up. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, 
you lawbreakers. Let's pray this morning. Jesus, we are here as we sang earlier that you would be lifted high because you are the, the king of our hearts. And it's our prayer today as we read your word, as we sit under the authority of it together, that those wouldn't just be words that we say, but they would be reflected in this life that we live. And Jesus, that you would speak to us in truth and in power this morning because we are to be a different kind of people because you are a different kind of God. And we beg you for these things this morning. It's in your name we pray together. Amen. Church, my purpose in preaching to you this morning is very straightforward. It's so that you'll learn to practice discernment in every area of your life. And the reason why that's important is I'm going to give you the definition of discernment now and you have a fill-in for you. And I really believe that this is the most important thing I have to tell you today. So if you don't remember anything else that I talk about this morning, please remember this. So follow along with me in your, in your hand out there as we talk about discernment. So what is discernment? Discernment is the spirit-led practice of applying the wisdom of God to what we sense, feel, and experience. Discernment is the spirit-led practice of applying the wisdom of God to what we sense, feel, and experience. Friends, when we practice discernment, we get to the heart of God. You see how radically important it is that we apply discernment? It's the Spirit-led practice. We don't go off on our own and do this. We're led by the Spirit of God and we apply the wisdom of God. That's the things we understand about God from His Word and as we pray and as we interact with the community of faith called the church. So we take all of that collective wisdom that God gives to us and we apply it to everything in life. Absolutely everything in life. We apply it to the things that we sense, the things that our eyes show us, the things that our ears tell us the things that we touch and the things that we feel physically but you see we all of these experiences are neutral our eyes tell us neutral things and our ears tell us neutral things and it's our responsibility as followers of Jesus to take all of this input that we have from our senses and apply God's wisdom to it and say God is this something that's good for me or not is this something that you have for me or not in a similar fashion, all of our, our emotions, the things that God gives us emotionally, are neutral. Love is a neutral emotion. Desire physically is a neutral emotion. Hatred and anger are neutral emotions. They're neither good or bad. What we do with our emotions makes something good or bad. Church, we are not to be people who are led by our emotions, but we are to lead ourselves emotionally. When we experience something emotionally as input, we should take it as that and say, I'm, I'm feeling something right now. I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling physical desire. I'm feeling affection towards a person or a thing. God, is this a good experience for me or not? Husbands, listen. It's very hard to have an affair if you're practicing discernment emotionally. When you are attracted, this could be anything with any situation. When you're attracted to somebody or something, that's a neutral experience because people, we like people, right? We talk to someone like, this is a nice person, I like talking to them, right? And our eyes tell us, this, is, this person, God, God did a good work here. That's awesome, right? It's good to talk to them. I, I enjoy being in their presence, and that's fine. But at that point, we have to say, okay, God, wait a minute, time out, right? I, I'm, I am a married individual, right? So that's going to change the way that I interact with somebody that I'm receiving emotional input from. 
That's the exercise of practicing discernment. We, we apply discernment to the things that we sense, the things that we feel, and the things that we experience. Listen, things, life happens, amen? Life happens. Things happen to us all the time. And the only difference between if we learn from our experiences or not is if we choose to apply discernment to the experiences that we have. Listen, if you haven't experienced negative things in life, just wait. But the only things that make the only thing that makes that negative experience not redemptive in your life is if you don't choose to exercise discernment when you have that experience. Because the truth is God desires to teach us in all the experiences that we have. And so we're going to drill in a little bit deeper to that into that today. And in case you didn't you think that the need for discernment is a relatively new enterprise, you don't have to get very far into God's word to see that discernment was lacking. In the very first pages of Scripture, we meet our first parents, Adam and Eve. And just let's just mentally walk ourselves through the story again really quick to see how there was a lack of discernment. Eve is there, and she was made by the Lord, right? God took a, a rib from Adam and made a, made a mate for him because God is a good God, right? And it's not good for man to be alone. And all the women said, amen, right? And all the men said, amen. So it wasn't good. She made Eve. And so here's Eve. She's in the garden, and the serpent starts talking to her. Time out. If a snake starts talking to you, just walk the other way, okay? Just go lay down for a while, all right? So the snake starts, the serpent starts giving her input, doesn't she? Asking her questions. Did God really say? And at that moment, Eve could have said, time out. Lord, what did you say? Right? Especially for her in that time. We read, we read that God used to walk with Adam in the cool of the day. She could have said, time out. Lord, wait, wait a minute. I'm, I'm receiving some input here. What do you have to say to me about that? But the scripture tells us that she saw that the fruit was what? Pleasing to the eye and good to eat. So she received input, saw that um, I like what I hear, I think, but I'm not asking the Lord about it, and I'm seeing this fruit that it's good, good to, it's, it looks good to me, and I, I'm hungry, or it looks like I could eat it, so I'm going to take and eat, and since she's naked and Adam's naked, and if you are a man, you know that if uh, your wife's naked, you're not usually far away, he was there, and he took the fruit as well, and ate, and sin entered the picture. A little bit later, we have a story of Moses and Aaron, and Moses goes up the mountain to hear from the Lord, remember, leaves Aaron in charge, and then the people come to Aaron, and they're like, we don't know where this Moses is, we don't know what happened to him, make an idol for us, make an idol for us, and Aaron at that point could have said, time out, what does the Lord have to say about this? But no, instead, Aaron was deceived by his people. And then this is important. If you read the story in Genesis 32, you'll see this. First, Aaron is deceived by his people. He doesn't exercise discernment. And so then he leads them in deception. Aaron's deceived, and then he leads himself and them into further deception when he takes the gold from them, puts it in the fire, creates an idol, and tells them to bow down, worship, and make sacrifices to it. The need for us to exercise discernment is not a new need, but it's radically, radically important. A couple questions for you to consider as we move through the message this morning. Number one, what areas of my life require greater discernment? What areas of my life require greater discernment? You notice I didn't ask you if you require greater discernment, because the truth is you do. So for you, what areas of your life are you most prone to sin? Where are danger spots for you? For some of you, it might be financial things. 
For some of you, it might be sense-oriented things, what you allow your mind to take in with your eyes, with your ears, or otherwise. For some of you, it might be relationship-oriented. You're allowing an unhealthy relationship for you to develop between you and somebody else. You're not exercising clear discernment there. Second question, who can I invite into deeper relationship with me? You see, discernment is not a solitary activity, church. And we'll talk a little bit more about that as we move through the message this morning. Friends, the reason why discernment is so important is because if we fail to exercise discernment, the danger of being deceived, led astray, and then leading others in deception is a real possibility. So before we just spend all of our time talking about what we're going to talk about, let's go ahead and talk about it. Look with me again in Matthew 7. Jesus tells us, we're going to center in for us on verses 15 through 19 this morning. He says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Just to remind you of the context, Jesus is here talking to us from the Sermon on the Mount, the best sermon ever preached, and he's gathered primarily with his disciples, but there are some others sprinkled around. And he's talking to them about the true nature of Messiah's people. Basically, who are the kind of people that are going to follow Jesus. And right before this, in Matthew chapter 4, it says something like, Jesus is going around talking about the kingdom, saying, repent, turn from your sin, because the kingdom of heaven is present. It's at hand. It's in me. And then it says that he's going around and he's healing sicknesses and diseases and those in distress. And so from that, we learn that our gospel is a gospel of proclamation and demonstration. It's a two-fisted gospel, and it's radically important that we remember that, because if we only focus on proclamation with our gospel, with the good news that we believe about Jesus, then basically we can become hypocrites, if nothing else, because we say what the good news is, but we don't actually do anything about it. But if we are only a demonstration-oriented people, We're just doing nice things for people over and over again, feeding them, clothing them, all very good things. But we're never actually telling them the truth of the gospel, that they're radically in need of a Savior, that their deepest need isn't to be clothed and fed, but to enter a lifelong relationship with Jesus. All we're going to do is make their life more bearable on their way to hell. So we need a, a gospel that's both proclamation and demonstration. And so that's what Jesus is doing here. He wasn't interested in merely tickling ears and attracting followers, but rather calling people to a radically different way of life. Friend, if you're here today and you haven't heard this before, I want to tell you that Jesus didn't come to make your life easier. Jesus didn't come just to give you simply a get-out-of-hell-free card or to give you your best life now, God forbid, but to show you, oh Christian, that, that he's enough for you. He came not to tell you that you are good, but that he is good and that he does good. As we sang earlier, man, as I just worshiped with you this morning and I just I just sang just you are good. And I watched you worship. I could just imagine the stories and I thought of the stories in my life of the times when the only thing that I had to hold on to was that God is good and that he he does good. And I want to ask you if you believe that today. Do you believe that he's good and that he does good? Be careful before you answer, though, because when you yes and amen that God is good and that he does good, then you're choosing to take whatever he gives you from his hand is good for you, including his discipline at times. Friends, listen to me. The truth of the gospel isn't that Jesus will save you from the storms of life but that he will sustain you through the storms of life. 
If no one's ever told you this before, let me tell you today that the prosperity gospel is a lie. Prosperity gospel teaches that if you just believe God enough and you just love God enough, that nothing bad will ever come for you. And if there's something that creeps into your life that's bad, whether it's a sickness or joblessness or anything like that, it's because you're not believing enough and you don't have enough faith. That is a lie from the pit of hell. It's a lie. It's a lie. Jesus tells us here in Matthew 7, 15, that we need to beware to look out for false prophets. Listen, church, we often like to think that God has a plan for your life, and in one sense he does, and it's wrapped up in his larger plan of reconciling and redeeming a lost and dying world back to himself. And while that's true, we have to remember the corollary is true as well, and that's that Satan has a plan for your life also. In fact, his name, Satan, means adversary. Satan was once an angel of light, his name was Lucifer, and then he led a third of the angels in rebellion against God, and since nothing evil can dwell in the presence of God, God cast them away from his presence. And since that time, God gave him the name Satan, or adversary, now he's leading others in deception. And you know what one of Satan's biggest desires would be? That you would do nothing more than to come to a building every seven days and put a little money in the plate, and for your life to look no different otherwise. You know what I call that? I call that gospel immunization. You get just enough of the good news to keep you from getting completely sick with it. And we will never, ever transform Edgerton with a church full of immunized believers. We'll never transform a lost and dying world unless we're sick with Jesus. Scripture tells us that our adversary robes around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And here Jesus warns us that one of the instrumentalities of Satan are false prophets who come to us in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravaging wolves. And so for us, our job is to learn how to spot these false prophets. So how do we spot false prophets? Well, first, false prophets advocate abroad an easy way. False prophets advocate a broad and easy way. You know what? I, one of the things I love about Jesus, uh, he never makes it easy on anybody. Remember the story of the rich young ruler in Scripture? Man, if we had a rich young ruler, or in our context, a rich young business owner or landowner coming to our church, we'd try and do, oh man, we got this new young leader, he just came in, it'd be great if we can get this guy involved, right? We do every, hey man, do you want to teach something? You want to lead? Do you want to lead something? And Jesus is like, no man, listen. I understand that you think you're a big deal, but there's some stuff in your life you have to deal with before you want to come follow me. If you're willing to deal with those things, come follow me. Let's do this, right? But until then, no, you love other stuff more than you're going to love me. And you need to get rid of that other stuff, the love of that other stuff. You see, because it wasn't really about the stuff, right? It was about the guy's heart. Remember that. And Jesus, Jesus knew that. And he knew that that stuff that his heart was given to was going to draw him away from worshiping him as king. And same thing is true for us. And so we have to get rid of that stuff that's going to keep us from making Jesus the king of our heart. False prophets advocate a broad and easy way. Friends, but listen to me. His sustaining for us is enough when the storms come because of the reward that awaits us. It's not anything in this world, but rather the reward is what? It's Him. It's Him. Because true joy and fulfillment and satisfaction is Him. 
in the Psalms, chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, the psalmist says, You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their new grain and their new wine abound. And I will both lie down and sleep in peace because you alone, O Lord, allow me to live in safety. You see, false prophets will tell you that joy is found in created things because they don't believe that Jesus is enough. Another way we can think about this is that false prophets practice bad math. They practice bad math. You see, they believe that the gospel's Jesus plus rules. But the truth is, Jesus plus rules is legalism. And for many of us, that's the kind of church that we grew up in or the kind of Christian experience that we had. It wasn't just enough to have Jesus. We had to make sure that we only listened to certain kinds of music and watched certain kinds of shows. Now listen, our discernment may tell us that those things aren't healthy for us, but those things by in and of themselves don't make us not followers of Jesus, right? Some of you may have grown up in a church experience that tells you that the gospel is Jesus plus experience, but that's not the gospel, that's mysticism, right? Jesus, when he was around walking the earth, he dealt primarily with the legalism. When Paul was writing his letters, he dealt with legalism and mysticism. Telling, listen, you don't need to have these ethereal, mystical experiences. You just need Jesus, right? But church, the truth is the gospel isn't Jesus plus rules or Jesus plus experience. It's Jesus plus nothing. It's just Jesus. As a minister of the gospel, let me let you in on a little secret, all right? Most, most of us that, that, that serve the Lord in a vocational kind of capacity, our biggest desire for you isn't to get you to stop sinning. I, that's not my primary motivation. I just want you to fall madly and deeply in love with Jesus. I want to show you that Jesus is enough for you because when, when you believe and, and walk in belief that Jesus is enough, all of these other things, they'll take care of themselves. If I'm pointing you to Jesus, if I'm getting you to encounter Jesus in a life-changing way, if you believe that he is enough, these other things in your life, they'll have a way of taking care of themselves. Now, continuing how we spot these false prophets, Jesus tells us that they advocate a broad and easy way, but he also tells us that we'll know them by their fruit. Now, we need to talk about discernment a little more this morning. Discernment takes time, and it's best done in a community of people. What do I mean by that? Well, discernment's not a Pop-Tart, all right? You can't microwave it, and you have to share it. Unless you're in eighth grade, you can't invite your buddy to your house to share a Pop-Tart with you, all right? You can't microwave it, and you, you have to share it. Discernment is more, you know, what the, you know what discernment's like? Discernment is like ribs that I cooked in my smoker last week. That's what discernment is like. You know what I mean? I got a pit barrel smoker, and you, you get the ribs out, and it takes time. It started at, at noon, right? And you take them out of the package, and you rinse them off with cold water, and you dry them, and you lather them up with olive oil, and you massage them. And your wife's looking at you funny because you massage ribs, and you're just like talking to your ribs, you know, and getting them ready. And then you cover them with all your seasoning. Don't be stingy with it. And you front and back. And then you go and you hang them. And you put the meat hooks in. You hang them. And then you put the lid on. And then you wait. You wait for three hours. You wait. Right? And then you pull the lid off. And they look good. And they smell good. But then you bring them back inside. And you lather them up with barbecue sauce. Right? And they're looking really good. But then you put them back in the smoker again. And you wait. Right? You're waiting. And you're waiting. Right? And then you pull them back out again, and they're looking so good, and they're smelling good, and they're starting to tug off the bone. And then you cover them with sauce again, and you wrap them in foil, and you put them back in there, and then you wait. 
and then you just like, it's just too much for you, right? And then the time has come, right? And you, you pull them out of the smoker, and you put, bring them inside, and then you have to wait again. And you wait for 25 more minutes, you wait, right? And then you think, man, it's time. And then you, you get them out, and you get your best knife out, and you start chopping them one at a time. Stand them up. And you're just like, this is a good life. Jesus is so good to me. I'm glad that I'm not a Jew. I'm eating a pork. You know, it's going to be awesome. I'm a new covenant believer. Um, and you're excited. And then you pile them in this big platter. And then your wife says, babe, they're not here yet. So then you cover the plate in foil and you wait. And then your friends show up. They show up and they've arrived and the kids come in. And then they take their coats off and run away. And then you sit in the living room and you wait. You wait, but then finally it's time to eat. They brought side dishes, and then so you sit around a table with a community of friends, and you eat something that you've been waiting for, and that's what discernment is like. Discernment is not a Pop-Tart. It's a slow-cooked meal that's been prepared lovingly, and the same thing we could say about so many other things in the Christian life. Why do we need others for discernment? Well, as we read a little bit or talked about earlier, a little bit earlier, We need a community because we're easily deceived, and at times we can be Satan's biggest allies in our own self-deception. I don't know about you, but I can talk myself into almost anything. If I want, I'm like, oh man, yeah, I could use a new truck. You know, that my car, it's just not cutting it, you know. If I could get a new pickup truck, that'd be good. I'm like, we can't afford a $400 payment, right? I'll just keep driving the 2003 GTI, right? We'll just keep rocking on until Jesus comes in that. But I could talk myself into it. Really, No, if I just give up this and give up that, then we can find room for it, sure. Also, just as it takes time for a tree to produce fruit, it takes time for us to discern properly. But before we get too much farther down the road, I want to tell you that another thing about discernment, being overly critical is just as dangerous as being uncritical. Before you think that you have the gift of discernment in everybody else's life, make sure that you're hearing from the Lord in your own life. That's why Jesus gives us the other story and says, hey, listen, before you go and take that, that piece of dust out of your brother's eye, you need to get rid of that weaving beam in your face, right? You can't see that speck of dust in your brother's eye if you have a, a beam sticking out of your face, right? So make sure that you unbeam your face before you go and get that little piece of dust out of your brother's eye. So how do we practice spirit-led discernment? Well, we have to be well acquainted with good fruit to practice spirit-led discernment. Listen, I love coffee, and if I wouldn't have spent so much time talking to you about ribs, I would talk to you about coffee right now. But I spend a lot of time with coffee. I, I love it. My, my wife's grandfather makes um, a half-calf pot of Maxwell House at six o'clock in the morning every day. And we go and visit him when we go back to Wichita, and I love to play guitar. He's a room full of guitars. He's an awesome guy. But every time before we go over there, I have to pray, God, help me, right? Because I'm going to have to drink Wayne's coffee. And when I, by the time we're there at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and it's been, you know, marinating all day for the last nine hours, I, I, I'm, I'm in trouble. I'm just... I'm just in trouble. It's a spir- it's spiritual discipline that allows me to drink Wayne's coffee. That's what it is. But here's the thing. I don't have to taste Wayne's coffee to know that it's bad. I can smell it when I walk in the door. And the closer I get to it, the more that I see. This is, a, this is uncreation. Like this, this is an act of depravity that I'm about to partake in here. 
The only reason I know that is because I'm so acquainted with what good coffee tastes like. And the more acquainted you are with good fruit, the more able you'll be to spot bad fruit. And you won't even have to taste it. You won't even have to feel it. You'll just be able to smell it before you even get close. And so church, you don't need to know everything about the culture, right? To know that there are parts of it that aren't good for you. Not to mention the fact that you got to be really discerning with how you spend your time, right? Is it really worth your time to watch eight hours of Game of Thrones this week? I don't think so. You don't really have to know that that's probably not good for you, do you? I don't know. You have Holy Spirit. You, you talk to Jesus about that. I don't know. Last two weeks ago in Shawnee, Pastor Charlie preached, and he said, I loved what he said. He said, uh, everything we want in life has a voice, and only one voice speaks truth. And so true, how true is that for us? So how do, we, how do we get acquainted with good fruit? Well, it's the same old, really useful things. We read God's word, we worship, we pray, we spend time in community, and we learn. And when we pursue God in this way, we're better equipped to spot bad fruit. The more acquainted we become with God and the gospel of his son Jesus, the easier it becomes to spot false gospels and fake saviors, church. But there's an intended warning for us in this as followers of Jesus. Look what it says in verse 17. In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Friends, it's impossible to gather grapes from thistle, and it's not in the nature of thistle to produce fruit. And the kind of fruit we produce is dependent on the type of tree that we are. And if we're not careful, we can become co-laborers with Satan in our own deception. And the remedy for that is to look in and ask ourselves what fruit is being made manifest in our life. Ask yourself, what kind of fruit is being produced in your life? The good news is, last week you heard a little bit about fruit in Galatians, but Jesus gives us a clear picture of what true fruit is in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. He tells us in Matthew chapter 5 and following that good fruit is poverty of spirit, it's mourning over sin, it's meekness, it's an appetite for righteousness, it's mercy, it's purity of heart, it's godly endurance under trial, it's spurning of hatred, spurning of lust, and spurning of vengeance. And we need to ask if we're truth tellers, if we're those who sacrificially love our our neighbors. And so at times we need to do some personal fruit inspection. Let me put it to you like this. You need to squeeze your own fruit. And the old saying go, you can squeeze your friends, you can squeeze your fruit, but you can't squeeze your friend, friend's fruit. Squeeze your own fruit, friends. You need to squeeze your fruit. Here's the truth though. That's not possible for us in our own strength, but only in radical dependence on Jesus. Why? The truth is, we're all bad trees. We're all, we're all bad trees. We're all diseased. We're all sick. We're all desperate. We're all rotten. We're all unable to heal our own sickness. But the good news is, the good news of the gospel is that God changes the trees from bad to good. In the book of Romans, there's this passage where Paul talks about vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. And the point of that passage isn't that God prepares some of us to, to go to hell someday. It's that he takes those vessels that were made for dishonor and he transforms them into vessels of honor. Those that are set apart for his use. Those that are holy and pure and righteous. And it's only in dependence and surrender that we produce fruit that remains. So let me land the plane here a little bit. 
Let me ask you again, what areas of your life require greater discernment? And who can you invite in a deeper relationship? As I thought more about this, I I asked myself, why don't we practice good discernment in our lives? I think one reason we don't practice discernment is because we like our sin too much. You know that there are things, maybe you are discerning, but you don't want to dive into deeper discernment because it's not something you're willing to give up. Well, friend, if that's you, then what you're saying is you're allowing something else in your life to give you meaning and value and purpose that only Jesus can. Whether that's media, a relationship, maybe that's success in your business, or something else. But also, maybe you're here this morning and you haven't practiced discernment because you don't actually have the Spirit of God living inside of you. And so if that's you here this morning, let me tell you that today can be the day you begin your journey with Jesus. Today can be the day that you begin your journey with Jesus. And you do it with the words that Jesus gave us in Matthew 4. Repent and believe the gospel. Turn from your sin and, and choose to follow Jesus. And listen, you don't have to have it all figured out to say, I just, I just want to move in a little closer to Jesus. A couple takeaways for you today. First, I want you to get your math right. Remember that it's not Jesus plus experience or Jesus plus rules. It's just Jesus. Secondly, I want you to eat better. I want you to choose slow-kicked ribs over Pop-Tarts all day, every day, friends. Practice your discernment in community with others. And finally, you need to remember to squeeze your own fruit. Today, this week, just ask yourself, God, what what fruit are you producing in my life? What what fruit am I allowing you to produce in my life? Where where are some areas when I need you to ask me to, when I need to ask you to heal me? Listen, uh, we just met a lot of us for the first time. And so I don't know a lot of your stories. I don't know the, the victories that God has brought in your life. I don't know the places of struggle that you're dealing with. But the challenge for you today is the same, regardless of where you are in your journey with Jesus. It's just to move in a little closer to Jesus today. If there's a way that I can pray with you or for you, I would love to do that. I know Pastor Casey will be standing over here ready to pray with you. Or maybe you just need to do some business with the Lord. This morning you you can come and you can kneel at the front and pray. Or you can grab the hand of someone that you came with this morning and say, Would you please pray for me about this? Or let's pray about this needed area of discernment in our lives. But whatever it is that God is speaking to you about this morning, now is the time to respond. Let's pray together today. Jesus, we trust you that you're enough for us. God, we trust that you're enough for us when the world wants to tell us that we need so many other things. And so this morning, Jesus, we do pray for discernment in our own lives. That we would respond in obedience to the things that you're telling us are true. And that we would do away with all the voices of lies that tell us something else. We pray that you would call us closer to yourself in deep surrender Father, and that as we walk in obedience, that you would lead us in victory. We beg you for these things this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen.